Hello, everyone. Welcome to One Israel Fund's February webinar, February 21st, 2022, to be exact, the 21st day of Adar, 5782. I am Eve Harrow, Director of Tourism and Community Development for One Israel Fund, who is sponsoring this tonight's webinar. It is evening here in Israel, um, where I'm broadcasting from in Gush Etzion, from my home in Efrat. Um, we have been broadcasting webinars pretty consistently over the last two years. Um, with some really interesting guests. I know many of you have tuned in before. For those of you who haven't, you can certainly go into our website and catch up with them, including some people who turned out later on to be filling some very important chairs in the Israeli government. Uh, and tonight's guest, of course, is going to be no exception. Um, I do want to add, though, that while One Israel Fund sponsors these webinars, it doesn't mean that we promote or agree with everything that our guests say. One of the things that is very important, well, for me specifically, is to get us all to think, to bring people on who have a lot of different opinions. Um, it would be easy to sponsor webinars and to just have webinars that make us all feel good at the end and feel like we just heard our opinion given back to us. But, um, but these days, it's important to educate and to think and to hear about new ideas, which might initially be a little difficult for us and then really start thinking out of the box because as Jews, as Israelis, those of us who are living here and all my webinar guests are people who live in Israel, um, we have some major, major issues that have to be dealt with and we can't keep, keep kicking cans down the road. And I really make a great effort to find fascinating people who've written books as our guest tonight has and, uh, and can illuminate us on a lot of the thinking and the research that they have done and share with us. Um, One Israel Fund, of course, is continuing to uh, do what we can to ensure the, continue, the continuity of the communities in Judea and Samaria. Very happy, as I'm sure most of you know already, that as of March 1st, Israel's gates are supposedly going to be reopened. As a tour guide, I'm very happy and already starting to get emails. So those of you who can come, if you haven't been here to Israel for a while, you'll see what we've been doing. We've been on the move. The last two years, we haven't been sitting on our hands. And especially in Judea and Samaria, we have built things. We are continuing to uh, secure the communities. And I personally cannot wait until you get here and see for yourselves. But in the meantime, tonight's guest is Gal Kalev, the author of Judaism 3.0, Judaism's Transformation to Zionism, a former Wall Street investment banker who grew up in Tel Aviv, served in the IDF, and now resides in Jerusalem, who's traveled extensively around the world and researched contrasting worldviews, chairman of the AFL think tank, and I'm sure he will explain to us what that is, which explores Zionism and Judaism and has written analyses articles about Zionism uh, all over in many, many different publications around the world. So without further ado, Gal, thank you so much for joining us here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so um, having read the book, Judaism 3.0, there are going to be some very interesting issues that are brought up tonight. And maybe starting off with what that means, Judaism 3.0, this is like the third version of Judaism that you're seeing in our pretty illustrious and long history. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, it's a very simple story. So first of all, uh, well, th thanks, to, thanks uh, to everybody for joining. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's in a sense a very uh, simple story. The Jews were here um, during biblical times. It's indisputable. They were uh, exiled. Uh, and um, uh, when, they were, when they were here, there was a particular thing about the particular anchor to Judaism that involved around the temple uh, and the worship. Uh, and the physical presence in Judea. Uh, when they were exiled, there was another version of Judaism that developed over time 
which scholars call rabbinic Judaism and what we kind of think of uh, religiosity as, as the religious element of Judaism. Uh, that was the canonization of the oral Torah, the halakha, the Jewish law, uh, the rituals, uh, and the yearning to go back to Zion. Uh, so for 2,000 years of exile, the Jewish nation religion had uh, both an internal glue of religiosity, uh, rabbinic Judaism, uh, but also an external one of complete insularity. Jews could not get out of Judaism. Uh, and only in the last 100 or 200 years, depending where you are, it began to crack. So Judaism 3.0 is basically suggesting that we are going through another historic transformation of Judaism, just as we've done 2,000 years ago. Because both the internal glue of religiosity has been radically receding. Uh, if 100 years ago, you know, 90%, you know, 200 years ago, maybe 100% of the Jews were observant. Uh, 100 years ago, you know, it's difficult to say, but 90% or so. Uh, today, it's estimated to be about 10%. And at the same time, really? uh, the walls that surround the Judaism have completely crumbled. Everybody's free to leave, and, and they have. Uh, so at the same time that you had the, 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 the anchors of Judaism 3.0 receding, you had another anchor, which is the national anchor. The state of Israel was reestablished. And after some 70 years or so, uh, you have more and more of the, uh, when people think of Judaism and the connect to Judaism, they do that through the national element of Judaism through Zionism and through the state of Israel. So Judaism 3.0 suggests that the organizing principle of Judaism is shifting from its religious elements to its national element, and Zionism is becoming the anchor of Judaism. So in some ways, we're shifting a little bit back in your words to Judaism 1.0, right? Because let's say during that millennia, more or less of the temples, of the two temples, right? With some break in between, um, there was a national element. Jews lived in Judea. That's where the term came from. Yeah. So not all Jews were here. And that is that is a, a, mis, a misidea that that's not a word, but that is an idea that's not necessarily true. There were always Jews outside of Judea, but the main core and the identity was here. And because of what's happened now in the last 70 or 80 years, you're saying that it's shifted here. But a question that is not really a simple question, what does it mean to be a Jew? Who is a Jew? I mean, when I grew up or the, the idea that I had is you, there were two ways that you were a Jew. You either converted to Judaism or you were born to a Jewish mother. And those were the ways. Now, the last webinar that we had a month ago, uh, which also got some some people's blood pressure up and it was very interesting, was about the conversion law. And that's making its way through the Knesset. And because here in Israel, we have quite a few, especially from the former Soviet Union, um, Israelis who are not according to halakha Jewish because it was through uh, possibly a grandparent. And I want to throw in, and I know that today you were at the Conference of Presidents, and maybe we'll have a chance uh, to speak about that and the issues of the Ukraine. But, you know, we're talking now, and Israel has already begun to, brought, to bring Jews out from the Ukraine because of the apprehension, of course, that Russia is going to invade. But you could say it to some degree, and I'm all for bringing them here, that that's just adding to this particular problem because it could be that quite a few of those Ukrainian Jews that none of us, I would say, want to leave in the Ukraine are not halakhically Jewish. So, but, but are Zionists, but are coming here. So what, how do you define now what is a Jew? Because we're talking about Judaism. Who falls under that category? So that, that's a very good question. And I'm, uh, it's important for me to stress that Judaism has always been a nation religion. I'm using contemporary terms. Somebody might say, well, the term nation is a new term, but it's always been a nation religion, meaning that the Jews, when you said when they were in Judea, 
uh, it was obvious that to use our term, they were a nation. And yes, they practiced religion. The uh, temple was there and it was a point of orientation to your religious kind of connection to Judaism. Right. You might have not, or I don't know, you could have worshiped, you didn't worship, but you understood that that's the religious connection. And, and when the Jews were in exile for 2000 years, it was the same thing. It was a nation religion. Uh, so the, the, the nation religion have never until recently was not able to separate itself from one another. So, and it still cannot separate it today. The Jewish nation is intertwined with the Jewish religion and the Jewish religion is intertwined with the Jewish nation. When uh, religious Jews go to synagogue, they pray for the nation of Israel. They're, it's part of the, of the, the, the daily prayers that is, that is mentioned, um, you know, recited three times a day. Every month right. uh, when they welcome month, they say, Kol Israel Chavarim, all of Israel is his friends. So, uh, so there is no such thing as being a religious Jew or being part of the Jewish religion without being part of the religious nation. That does not mean something like this historically. Uh, there's been an attempt to do this, and I'll get into that over the last hundred or so years, mostly in the United States, to denationalize the Jewish nation religion. And as right. I show in the book, that has failed. Uh, there was also an attempt to de-religiousize, if, that if that's a word, I'm joining you in making up I'm words I'm making here. up words, so why not, yeah. <laughs> and to say, you know what, Judaism is only a nation that's separate from their religion, and that has also failed. That, that attempt was made in Israel in the early days where uh, it wasn't made by Herzl and the founders of, 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 of Zionism in the, in the Zionist Congress. It was made by people who, you know, through election to control of, of Zionism, had more of a revolutionary um, uh, philosophy towards it. And, they, and there was an attempt uh, to strip away the Jewish religion away from Zionism. Uh, and that has failed as well, both because we're seeing two parallel trends in Israel. One is the shift from uh, what I would call the secular minority, which I guess I'm part of. You know, I grew up in Ramat Aviv in, in Tel Aviv. Uh, uh, but, uh, the, but that in Israel, about 40% of Israelis self-define themselves as secular and about 60% define themselves either as uh, Haredi, which is ultra-Orthodox, uh, national right. religious, traditional. Traditionals are people that are, you know, what you would call in America, the religious Christians. I mean, these are people that go to synagogue sometimes every week. They don't keep Shabbat, but religion is very high on the, in, as part of their identities. So as we're seeing on the one hand shift in Zionist ethos and in Israel, long-term shift from the secular minority that sort of founded the country, Ben-Gurion and the labor party, the old labor party, if you will, to the religious uh, traditional majority. And at the same time, you're seeing amongst secular Israelis uh, a rapprochement with the Jewish religion. So the same uh, cadre of people that uh, a few generations ago rejected the Jewish religiosity are now embracing it, but without becoming religion. So there's a Jewish religion fashion in Israel, uh, whether it's vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, learning about the parasha, I have friends who are on Shabbat, uh, uh, tune into a YouTube video about the parasha. Obviously, it's in violation of Jewish law because you're not supposed to turn on your computer on Shabbat. But they're mocking in one way or another. Obviously, a lot of people um, are mocking by sanctifying the Shabbat or a Kiddush. Or, um, you know, when going to the Kotel, wanting to have to the wedding wall a very, what they would re, uh, uh, view as a religious experience, obviously life-changing events uh, and otherwise. So Israeli Jews, Israeli secular Jews uh, are, are getting more and more closer to their religion. So this is like a long way of answering if your, your, your um, question that there's not, never really been, uh, you know, the Jews have always been a nation religion. Uh, the attempt that we have seen over the last century in the United States to denationalize Judaism has failed as, as uh, non-Orthodox Judaism in America is basically on a trajectory towards evaporation. Uh, and the attempt in Israel 
to try to strip out the religious element has also already also failed and people are sort of coming back to incorporating the Jewish religion in their lives. So, but still, what would make someone do? Because for example, I know and guide and I'm friends with Christians who keep biblical holidays, love yeah. Israel, many yeah. much more than some Jews that I know are completely devoted to, to God because God should be fitting in here at some point as well. It's not just an ethnicity, right? It's supposed to be some kind of belief in a creator. Um, Yet, but under this, so are they Jews? Because they, let's say they learned Hebrew. Could they move to Israel then? Even if they're not born from a Jewish mother, have never belonged to the Jewish people. You know, we're all trying to figure out where the red lines are here to keep people in the tent. And so my question for you is, where is this red line, you know, according to you and your book, Judaism 3.0? So first of all, I want to separate issues relating to Israeli law and to Jewish law from this very basic concept that, you know, like if we take a step back, if there's one takeaway message from the book, just by reading its cover and its first few pages, is that Judaism is a nation religion. We are a nation. Theodor Herzl, the founder of modern day Zionism, uh, said it in the first Zionist Congress. He made it clear, we are a nation, we are one nation. And so in the example that you've uh, outlined of this, you know, what's wonderful people who might uh, practice Judaism, they might be Christians, they might be, uh, you know, non, you know, anything else, and they, they right. want to be inspired or practice elements of the Jewish religion, that's wonderful, but they're not, uh, by their own admission, by their own claim, they're not part of the Jewish nation. Uh, so mm -hmm. I might be uh, friends of your family, Eve, but I'm not part of your family. I, 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 there is, so, so, so the red lines, you know, on a philosophical level are sort of obvious in the sense that if you're part of the Jewish you know, if, if you, you you cannot just say, well, I'm inspired by the Jewish religious practice and the therefore Bible. I'm Jewish. Right. By right. the Bible, you know, um, you know, if you want to get really philosophical and go, go historical, I mean, that's basically the origin of Christianity, because sure. what a thousand years ago here in Judea, I'm in Jerusalem right now, you're uh, in a fight, I believe. Uh, yes. So we, we had uh, the Europeans uh, invade here and, uh, and in one of the most astonishing uh, uh, course of history, they didn't. They try to impose their values on us, but then they end up taking our values to Europe and adopted Judaism, basically monotheism, Judaism, in the form of what later became known as Christianity. So Christianity, in a sense, I mean, it's obviously much more complicated and a long conversation, is Judaism for the people who are not part of the Jewish nation. Uh, and, uh, okay. and everybody practice and self-identifies what they want, but I think most people kind of recognize that on the very basic level, um, Judaism, you know, once you accept it, it's a nation religion, then you know if you're part of this nation or you're not part of this nation. I can say that I love, uh, I love drinking Guinness, you know, you know, Irish beer, or I like eating Chinese food, but I cannot say that I'm Chinese. I might be a Francophile, but I'm not French. So it does, you know, there's a very big difference between, you know, being friends of Zion and being friends of the Jews and being Jewish. Now, I'm separating all this, and that's the important part, I think, or one of the important messages of the book, because there are a lot of those questions that you've just asked, where do you draw the red line when it comes mm -hmm. to conversion, when it comes to, you know, uh, all kinds of other issues, and when it comes to immigration to Israel. I'm not touching right. on any of the questions deliberately, because what I'd like to do is to have, you know, as many people as possible agree with this basic tenement that Judaism is a national religion, you know, you need to be part of the Jewish nation in order to be you know, self-considered even as, as a Jewish person. And once you do that, then you can later on open the questions of where you draw the red line 
that are relevant to that particular question. Where do you draw the red line when it comes to the law, immigration laws of Israel? And where do you draw the red lines right. when it comes to, to, to conversion and things like that? I'm not touching on any of those issues. Uh-huh, which, okay. Because uh, So let's give another example. If you're, I mean, on the other side of the extreme, all right? We mentioned Christians, yeah. people who believe in Jesus, but also believe in the Bible. But what, what if you have, because you're making a case here that Judaism as 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 is a nation, and now we're home again in our nation, which is Israel, because of Zionism, the move towards Israel. But let's say you have very religious Jews. We can use, let's say, Satmar as an example, who are deeply religious and, you know, we would call ultra-Orthodox when it comes to halakha, when it comes to keeping the rabbinic traditions, if you will, but don't believe, are not Zionists. All right. Whether they believe that we should eventually come back to the land of Israel, but only when the Messiah comes, it's a whole other discussion. But they do. They actually sometimes even uh, dip, uh, go out against Israel. If there's some kind of uh, you know street rally or something like that, then they'll even come out against Israel. It's a very small minority, but it's still there and they make a lot of noise. So are there now because they're not Zionists? I'm going to flip this. Are they not Jews? So, so first, it's very important to note what you just said. This is a very, very small minority within right. the ultra-Orthodox Haredi community. It is true that at the, when the beginning of Zionism, the ultra-Orthodox objected to Zionism, uh, but that's done. Uh, and I view ultra-Orthodox as the poster child of Zionism. Zionism really? is defined as the national, the national element of the Jewish nation religion. If rabbinic Judaism is the re- religious element of the Jewish nation religion, and all of extreme, you know, reformed, conservative, and orthodox, mm-hmm. that national element, the national aspect of the Jewish nation religion. And 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 I go to um, ultra-orthodox synagogues, including to Satmar's and including to many others here in Jerusalem, and I have ultra-orthodox friends, and, and I talk to a lot of them. And some of them might not self-identify themselves as Zionism for various historic reasons, and that's fine. But in practice, uh, they are very much Zionism, Zionist in the sense that uh, the land of Israel and, you know, you, you named after your organization is the, you know, the, the one Israel, Israel fund. fund. Right. So the, the land of Israel is, is, is central, you know, to, uh, to the ultra-Orthodox, the concept of Israel, the, the 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 geography is central. You know, if you go on any halal flight to Israel, you see a lot of ultra-Orthodox, but more so theologically, the Jewish nation, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is key. You pray for the Jewish nation. You're, you're all this discussion about conversion and things that you mentioned are because, are, are driven by the Jewish nation. So the ultra-Orthodox have an issue w- within Zionism about the direction of Zionism. You know, should... Uh, you know, and, and policies should that uh, the streets of Jerusalem be closed on Shabbat and this conversion, that conversion, kosher reforms, not kosher, they have issues within just like anybody else has. But while they may not admit it, you know, uh, the, in, in like they may not want to be like, uh, say, kind of uh, openly, they are, to me, uh, uh, poster child of Zionist in practice. Uh, the, 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 when, when you talk to... Um, uh, uh, ultra-Orthodox, a lot of time they would have an issue with Zionism, not conceptually. You know, there was an issue a hundred years ago, uh, well, who's, you know, God didn't tell us to come here, you know, Herzl right. tells us to come That's that's sacrilegious. But first of all, that's, you know, I'm not sure, I'm, that, that, that statement by itself might be sacrilegious, because if you're a religious person, you believe that everything is from God. And, you know, and so okay. this is a problem that already occurred. So a hundred years ago, you can say, well, I don't think this is a good idea. Now that we're here, 
And a lot of the ultra-Orthodox are here and a lot of them are centering their lives around uh, Israel. Um, you know, that sort of like initial objection is receding. Uh, but, uh, you know, there is an issue of, you know, um, uh, the power of the state and how much, you know, the, the state should have relative to the, the power of rabbinic councils and all those kind of issues. And those are fine because those are debates that occur within Zionism. I'm defining Zionism very broadly as the national aspect of the Jewish nation religion. So the ultra-Orthodox will have views about that that are going to be different than the seculars and are going to be different than the reform Jews and are going to be different than many other people, but they're still within the Zionist tent. All right, so I'm going to be a little bit obnoxious about this, so totally out of my personality, but we'll I'll, mm -hmm. I'll step out of that for, for a second. A lot of the people who are listening, and by virtue of the fact that this conversation is happening in English, are not in Israel. And yeah. most of the people listening to this, if not all, I would say, are people who are very devoted to Israel in one way or the other. Certainly, uh, One Israel Fund, the family of One Israel Fund, are incredible human beings who really do so much in order to help us maintain the communities here and very often are planning on coming or have children here, but currently are sitting before their computers in Florida or in New York or in San Francisco and watching this, who might get offended at what you're saying in the sense of they're Zionists, but it's it's a part of who they are. It's not, it wouldn't define them. How would you answer that? Because the people that you've spoken to in synagogues in Jerusalem, just by virtue of the fact that they're living in Israel, it's going to change them to some degree. I and mean, they're speaking Hebrew, which is our national language. That's our code, right? And they're paying taxes to an Israeli government, presumably, right? Or the street signs that they're seeing are Hebrew street signs and the and the, the schools that they are sending their children to and the health funds that are providing their care. These are all Israeli institutions. The public spaces are Israeli and to a great degree Jewish. It's not the same, though, for the more or less half of people who identify as Jews who are not living in Israel. So what how, what would you say to them in terms of your, your you know, the research that you've done and the conclusions that you've come to? So I, I actually so maybe it's a good time to take a step back and describe the book in the book. I you know, I'm not advocating this is what it should be. I'm saying that this is the state of Judaism, the book you know, has uh, the, the subtitle of the book uh, is the, the State of Judaism. <laughs> so this is, the this is basically my conclusion about where we are in, in the Jewish okay. story, that people, whether it's in the positive or the negative, whether it's actively or passively, connect to their Judaism primarily through Zionism. And so I show this by analyzing Jewish communities, by analyzing trends in Israel, by analyzing trends in American Jewry, but also by analyzing trends in the surrounding environment because Jews are integrated. So in order to understand American Jews, you have to understand America. So I'm doing an analysis, one right. of the chapters on trends in America and the new trends, global trends, both in terms of how the uh, world perceives the Jews and global trends that affect the state of Judaism. Uh, so in reality, I'm separate. You know, there are 10, 15% of the Jews that maybe many of them are, are uh, in this uh, webinar uh, that are either Orthodox, or, 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 for, or for other reasons, Jews, Judaism is very important for them, very high on their hierarchy of identities. They are what some people call super Jews. So obviously, if you're Orthodox, if, you're, if you go to synagogue every Shabbat, not to mention every day, then of course it's something that's important for you. Uh, and if you're... Well, that leaves you know, me out of the super Jew category, but okay, yes. <laughs> but people, you know, that are, you know, might be president of your synagogue or involved in a Jewish organization right. or... 
or but these are according to most research and i didn't do my own proprietary research i relied on other people's research including somebody did a little bit of proprietary research for from for the book here uh it's about 15 percent, maybe 20 percent 80 percent of american jews are judaism is so low in their hierarchy of identity that you know yes it's important but so is your uh country club affiliation and so is you know, your um, uh, alumni association and your, and your professional and where you went to college when you go to business school or your sexual orientation or your political belief or many, many other things that dictate your identity. And yes, Judaism is there, but for the vast majority of American Jews, they don't meet Judaism through the religious aspect of Judaism. They might go to, you know, synagogue at Yom Kippur or on Rosh Hashanah or, and, and they might, may or may not send their children to Jewish camps and they might do all kinds of things, but they come into their Judaism through Zionism in the positive and the negative. And I know your, your crowd is mostly pro-Israel, so that's maybe I, it's important to focus also on the other, on the majority of, you know, of American Jews who right. are critical. And some of them are, you know, critical, you know, having constructive or criticism worse. and vocal. Um, we saw in the last, uh, in Gaza, in the Gaza operation in May, uh, a few months ago, uh, a lot of American Jews, and some of them are my friend, uh, write Facebook posts, as a Jew, I'm embarrassed. As a Jew, I think what they're doing is horrible. They write as a Jew. They never write as a Jew about anything else. They don't say as a Jew, I think this weekly Torah portion is this and that. As a Jew, you know, I, I believe that this, you know, that I'm thinking of the Holocaust today. There is no, any other elements of Judaism you might exist, but it's the periphery. Israel draws, you know, those critics into their Judaism, and certainly people like in your audience who are pro-Israel are, you know, that draws their, that's for many people, their primary sort of touch point with Judaism. So I show in the book how for whether you're uh, a critic, whether you're for, whether you're against, uh, for the uh, majority of American Jews, uh, their touch point with Judaism is done through the national aspect of Judaism. But that's only possible because America has also shifted. A uh, hundred years ago, or 120 years ago, when the beginning of the Jewish immigration wave to America occurred, they, there was a different narrative of an America. There was a more homogeneous America uh, that sort of uh, cherished the, what some people call the Mayflower narrative. I want to be like my neighbor, and my neighbor is Mr. Jones or Mr. Smith. So, you know, there, what is this thing about being part of the Jewish yeah. nation? That doesn't make sense. Do loyalty. So I'm going to denationalize Ju Judaism. And just like my neighbor, Mr. Smith, goes to his church, I'm going to go to mine. You know, I'm going to reduce the Jewish nation religion to the Jewish church, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. That could have worked had the Jews stayed religiously engaged. But then they right. secularized and, and taken away the other aspects of, of their anchor. But if you want to be like your neighbor today, your neighbor is not necessarily Mr. Jones. It might be Mr. Rubio or Mr. Rodriguez or Mr. Chen. And they very much celebrate their ethnological national affiliation. Uh, I, I was uh, in 2016 uh, covering the, the Republican primaries for president and Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz kept on fighting who's more Cuban. And at one point, Marco <laughs> Rubio ambushed Ted Cruz, uh, tried to speak to him in Spanish in one of the debates. They weren't arguing who's more Christian to make the, the analogy to the Jews, you know, the, right. who's more, they were talking about Cuban. and. And if you go around America to Cuban churches, they're different than Mexican churches. I mean, they're both Catholic and they're different than others. So there is, there is a greater acceptance in America, not just acceptance and, and embrace, uh, that um, uh, Americans can have multiple identities 
uh, and uh, uh, you know, I can be a proud uh, a person from uh, North Dakota, and I can be a proud American, and I can be a proud Jew, and I can be a proud of a lot of things. Uh, we've seen it in the vice in Vice President Kamala Harris. You know, maybe 30 years ago, it would be considered um, inappropriate that she is proud of her Jamaican identity and she's proud of her Indian identity. Mm-hmm. In it with uh, the former first lady who spoke uh, in, in an accent. She wasn't from the Mayflowers, you know, the daughters of, right. of the revolution. So, uh, so, so Jews in America uh, are now, you know, more and more and more comfortable uh, with uh, an identity uh, that celebrates their national affiliation, which is the one, the one aspect of Judaism that's relevant. Because that's, that's what it is. You know, Israel is the relevant aspect of Judaism when it comes to news, when it comes to criticism, when it comes to support, when it comes to innovations. Uh, if you're a Jew, that's tikkun olam is very important for you. Tikkun olam, repairing the world, which is a, a, one of the principles of Judaism in general, but in particular of reform, the reform uh, Judaism. Um, most Jews I know in New York, uh, where I lived for a while, including myself, did tikkun olam, but they didn't do it wearing a Jewish hat. You know, if you volunteer in a homeless shelter or you join some organization. Good person, or even, right. It is yourself. Uh, but, if, but you do have uh, a collective affiliation with being as part of the tikkun olam nation, and that is to the state of Israel, which is the tikkun olam state. Uh, what Israel is doing in Africa, turning air into water and, and, and addressing famine and the millions and millions of lives that are saved through the ingenuity, medical ingenuity that's coming out of Israel. Uh, Israel is a tikkun olam state. So if you're an American Jew and tikkun olam is important for you, so that means that you should even further increase your Jewish identity around Zionism because that is the tikkun olam state. So, you know, are they doing, are they doing that? Because it seems like what what I'm hearing, they're not that the further Jews in America get from Judaism by intermarriage or whatever it is, the further they're also getting from Israel. It seems like, from what I understand, support for Israel, except among the traditional and the Orthodox, is waning in the United States. And there is more criticism. And as a Jew, I can criticize Israel because I'm a Jew, so I have the right to do so. And it seems like it's getting stronger and stronger. So they're identifying with Israel in order to criticize Israel? So I'm, Legitimately? I'm so even for those people who criticize Israel, even for them, where do, else do they meet their Judaism other than through criticizing Israel? So, you know, and, and it's- I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> I, I, that they're identifying I, I, as Jews in order to criticize Israel. <laughs> well, well, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm uh, describing what I believe is the state of yeah, Judaism. I hear you. And, and whether you're critic of Israel, whether you're even worse, you know, a basher of Israel, you know, you connect to your Judaism through Israel. So, you know, once you establish that, then we can have a dialogue and say, well, you know, please don't, you know, let, 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 let's, let's have a debate and, you know, and, and, uh, uh, but but um, uh, I show I, or it's, I try to show in the book how for whether whatever part of Judaism you are, uh, Israel is the most relevant, or I would even say the least irrelevant aspect of Judaism. Because let's face it, for the populations as you described, yeah, the one who okay. marry are out. By the way, intermarriage, you know, they have a whole chapter on intermarriage. It's not necessarily a you know, there's a lot of intramarried couple, people Jews who marrying Jews who are evaporating and you know assimilating out, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of inter- Couples that you know the intermarriage itself triggers the uh, Jewish identity. I mean, triggers the Jewish question that doesn't exist otherwise when you just suddenly are happily tra- you know trajectory to ro- towards evaporation. So, the Jewish evaporation, by the way, is not something that's so strange because 
you know, it's very natural because, you know, when you look at other groups in America, the Irish, the Italians who came, uh, you know, around the time, not everybody came at the same time. Uh, people that the bulk of their immigration occurred at the beginning of the 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century. They're also evaporating. Um, I remember in one of the uh, uh, reception I had once, I had a discussion with an Irish politician who says, no, no, it's, I'm, what are you talking? The Irish are not evaporating. I'm a very proud Irish. He says, why are you a proud Irish? Because I celebrate St. Patrick's Day. But I said, well, so do I. I celebrate, I go to St. Patrick's Day parties. Maybe I attend the parade. Uh, green, so, yeah. Okay. Oh, and, you know, I, I, I uh, so, so, you know, and many Jews you know, practice Chinese medicine and do other stuff. So Judaism is gradually becoming one of the many, uh, I'd, I'd call it Pan-American brands that is available for consumption for everybody. Um, I was, um, uh, when I lived in New York, at one point I wanted to host a Rosh Hashanah dinner and we were looking for our Jewish friends. The people that were interested were the non-Jewish people that wanted to have a Jewish experience. Uh, and if you, I don't know, if you do, I don't, if, I'm not a researcher that does that kind of research, but if you go to, I don't know, Katz Deli or something that's affiliated, that you see pastrami sandwich, who, who eats pastrami Jewish sandwich food. now? Jewish food, it's not just Jews anymore. I mean, just like the Jews don't just eat Jewish but, but, food. They eat- but that's not Judaism. I mean, I don't think that's Judaism. That's that's like a Disneyland to some degree. I'm from Los Angeles, so forgive me. That's like this melting pot of America and you can eat Chinese food one day and you can eat pastrami the other day and everybody just loves each other, which isn't happening at all. But what we're talking about, if you're talking about Judaism, Jews as a nation and Zionism as the bringing together, the physical manifestation, if you will, the physical home of that nation. So then what's happening in America is that good for the Jews? How does that reflect on Zionism? And again, to bring that up again, because it's a very hurtful point, a lot of these Jews are turning against Israel. And while they have the right to criticize Israel, we still semi live in a free world, most of us, where you can do that. Ultimately, it hurts the two of us because that kind of criticism can do tremendous damage to the security of our country and what we're trying to do here in a very, very difficult and nasty neighborhood to say the least. So it, so I'm, I'm trying to zero in here on, I know this is not your opinion and this is based on your research. So where do you think this is going based on, or do you, or do you not know because doing research no. on what's happened in the past doesn't make you a profit? which is a very Jewish thing, but okay. Well, right. we don't have any right uh, now. Okay, yes. <laughs> the, the, first part of the, you know, the first part of the book is just a, a summary and a historical right. sort of story about how we got here. But then the bulk of the book is what I described earlier, sh- showing the state of Judaism, showing the, the, you know, trying to prove the thesis that Judaism was transformed and Zionism in its anchor by doing an analysis of trends in North American Jewry, in Israel and global trends and the way that people look at Judaism. So once you establish that, that, okay, fine, you agree that Judaism is transformed and Zionism is its anchor, then you ask, what does it mean? And that's the third part of the book where I discuss the implication of just recognizing this transformation. So again, I want to stress that I'm not asking to, you know, create a movement or I'm not in the beginning of the book. I'm just saying this is the way it is. And all I'm asking is to recognize it. Uh, but once you do, it has implications and it has implications, positive implications. We can talk about later uh, yeah, that once you it provides a lot of Jewish clarity, provides a lot of Jewish pride. It, it provides, you know, a greater, I'd say, fit that we can discuss later with 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 global trends. Uh, but it also addresses threats, contemporary threats to Judaism. So I have a chapter where I do a threat threat analysis 
what are the contemporary threats to Jewish continuity? Not the threats of the 20th century, not the threats of the 19th century, the threats that, that are now and that are emerging. And I identified three primary threats, and I argue that by recognizing the transformation, those threats are addressed better. Uh, one is what we talked about, uh, is the uh, evaporation of American Jewry. Uh, but if that materializes, then it's not the end of the world for Judaism. It just kind of sort of proved this thesis because if that, God forbid, materializes in its fullest, then all the Jews will be in Israel. So if in 50 years, this trajectory continues and American Jews, other than those 20% who are either Orthodox or very involved, uh, will just evaporate, then it's not that 50% of the Jews will be in Israel. It'll be like 80, 90% of the Jews will be in Israel. And then of course, Zionism- Because we have is, less Jews, so the percentage is greater. Then Jews- I mean, Israel will be one in this, or, or what I say, like towards the end, I, I show what I believe. Just like today, we spoke earlier that rabbinic Judaism is what, like, we are, unless you're a Karaite, unless you didn't accept the transformation of Judaism 2,000 years ago and you still center your Judaism about biblical Judaism, you know, the temple and things like that, then most of us are rabbinic Juda Jews, whether we're Reforms right. or, or whether we keep it or not, that's how we define ourselves. But, right. How often if when I ask you, oh, you're Jewish, oh, are you a rabbinic Jew? Or, you know, it's just rabbinic Jews and Jews became synonymous, one and the same. And I think that'll be the same when from Judaism and Zionism in a few decades. So certainly if North American Jewry evaporates and Judaism is just becoming about Israel, then of course it's the same. That's one, one threat. This, the second threat uh, is the threat of post-Zionism, which uh, is a threat that is, um, on the one hand, Israeli, the th threat of post-Zionism in Israel, on the one hand, Israeli Jews are animately Zionist. I show how, uh, you know, you look at, for example, voting patterns. Uh, over 99% of Israeli Jews persistently vote for Zionist parties. I know uh, uh, Meretz gets a lot of criticism in your circles, but by own, their own self-definition, they're Zionists. And they believe that Israel is the, you know, there's debates within Meretz as well. You, you, right. you have the labor party, which sometimes in different elections merges with marriage, is considered to merge as discussions of merge, merging with Meretz, uh, a few years ago, they changed their name to the Zionist camp. Uh, their, their former leader, Bougie Herzog, became the, head, became the head of the Jewish agency, the flagship of Zionist institutions, and later became our president. Right, so 90% right. of Israelis vote in, for parties, whether they're Haredi, whether they're you know, Likud, Labor, you know, whether they're Meretz, less than 1% in spite of many, many efforts vote for what today is the joint list. Uh, you know, the, the parties that advocate the end of Zionism in Israel. So post-Zionism on the one hand, some people would say it's not, it's a far-fetched, you know, threat. But on the other hand, one level below the surface, below that, uh, there is a lot of disturbing trends that, you know, we can discuss if we have time uh, in Israel that, uh, you know, we were in the middle of a battle of narratives that have been going on for a long time in Israel. Is Israel the homeland of the, of the Jewish people while obviously right. preserving democracy and the rights to everybody here in Israel, or is Israel, you know, needs to de-Zionize, Zionize, so, you know, there's a lot of names for that, you know, become state of all big citizen and like get rid of the Star of David in our flag and the national anthem and things like that. You know, so obviously recognizing the transformation that Judaism is Zionism uh, strengthens the, the idea, you know, sort of like a, puts a stronger uh, wall uh, in the defense against the post-Zionist, um, you know, wins. But the primary threat to Jewish continuity and to Judaism is the threat of Israel bashing. And yeah. that is the current manifestation of age-old opposition to Judaism. Uh, I've studied Theodor Herzl, the, the founder of 
Zionism, thanks to whom we are here today. He uh, not only dreamt, but created the institution and the and the vehicles and the and the and the path Vision. Yeah. for us to, to come here. Uh, and he came to a very, very stark conclusion that uh, European, and, and we have to like remember that about 90% of Jews throughout in his time and in the Middle Ages are believed to have been in Europe. So opposition to 90%? Judaism. 90%? 80, 90% different, different theories. Really? About different they're, they're that few in, in the Middle East, in, in Babylon at the time, in Iraq of today, in Morocco, North Africa? That really? It's that? Hmm. Okay. Majority of, certainly in Herzl's time, uh, have, has been, uh, have lived before the immigration to America and to the New World. Right. Uh, and of course, Hit- Hitler managed to destroy most of European Jewry. So, yeah. You know, the Nazis have genocide, I mean, not just the Nazis, I mean, the Nazis and the people who collaborated with them in Europe have uh, right. led to the genocide of European Jewry. Then there was also mass migration of European Jews, including Russians, to North America and South America and to, to the New World. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, when the Middle Eastern Jews were essentially ethnically cleansed out of the Middle East, nearly all of them have moved to Israel. And that's why we the reality in Israel that we're very blessed with, that Israel is, is as since the 50s, have been basically more or less half uh, right. between uh, Middle Eastern uh, heritage and people of, of, uh, of European heritage. Mm, but I, when- It's one of the beautiful things about living here in Israel. And I adore my Moroccan-born uh, or my, my son-in-law from Moroccan parents. And no, it's, it's also very healthy genetically, but we'll leave that for now. But yes, it, it is a beautiful thing to see that. But, you know, you, you focused a lot on American Jewry and you did now briefly mention European Jewry. And there's, is, there are still some, of course, uh, communities in Europe and you've traveled there extensively. Is the research pretty much the same there when it comes to, are the Jews there identifying through Israel? Are they having to be quiet because they're living in countries that are overtly anti-Semitic at this point, almost without exception in Europe? Um, What's going on in the Jewish communities there vis-a-vis their self-definition of Zionism versus or along with Judaism? So uh, as I mentioned, 80% 80 of the diaspora Jews live in North America. And to really analyze the other 20%, you really got to go country by country, market by market, and almost like year by year. Uh, right. And that's, you know, the book is relatively thin. Uh, so I don't- We're waiting I don't for hear. round two, yes. Uh, well, no, somebody said this should be, as every chapter should be its own book, but then it'll be a 10 volume book. And, you know, I want people to be able to read it on the beach or wherever, and maybe maybe you carry 10 volumes to the beach, uh, but- uh, Little much, okay. So, um, but there- you know, just to make a general statement, they are way ahead of America, North American Jews in terms of connecting the identities through Israel. First of all, just by virtue of travel, really? uh, 40-something percent of America, the vast majority of American Jews, 65, 67%, I think, have never traveled to Israel. Yes, While that is true. In, uh, the, the number is, is you know, there's, there's more people who travel, there's more uh, family connections, and, and the, the dynamics is different. So Europeans are ahead uh, in terms of recognizing, I'd say, the transformation that Judaism has transformed. But what's important for me about Europe and Herzl is the notion that the opposition to Judaism, what we now call anti-Semitism, has, been, has changed as European circumstances have changed. At Herzl's time, I make a comparison in the book between uh, the early stage of the anti-Semitic movement in the late 19th century and today's Israel bashing. And it's startling that it's very similar. There was a debate, what is the line between legitimate criticism of Jews 
and what is, you know, hatred. Uh, because when you look at the, you know, Herzl time, his early days, you know, when he was a uh, uh, traveling around Europe, and then even when he was in the 1890s, a correspondent uh, a journalist in Paris, uh, he developed what he calls a liberal attitude towards anti-Semitism. He, you know, understood just like today, a lot of people develop a liberal attitude towards Israel bashing. Um, a lot of people say that anybody that thinks that Jew hatred still exists is paranoid because Jew hatred was associated with religiosity, right. uh, uh, religious themes, whether it's the accusation of Jews killed Jesus or whether it's the accusation that Jews use the blood of Christian children to make Passover right. matzah. So Europe was religious, the art was religion, religious, everything was religious. So the opposition to Judaism was, was a religious one. Right, the right. Crusades, the Inquisition, et cetera, right. Yeah, and right before Herzl, there was one of the Zionist prototypes, Moshe Hess, that Herzl read his book. And Moshe Hess, in my humble opinion, if I can say, made a mistake. He thought that he saw, he was in, you know, he saw in Italy that, you know, the, there's a rise of Italian nationalism and there's a rise of liberal forces and there's a reduction of the power of the church, of the Catholic church, and yeah. therefore the end of Jew hatred. So you have those dual trends of, Europe becoming secular, and therefore there's no reason to hate the Jews. And the church is becoming uh, less and less powerful. And therefore he thought, okay, this is over. You know, we, we are going to be very happy. What he didn't realize and what there's Herzl always did. A way to hate, there's always a way is, to hate the Jews. Yes. Exactly. Opposition to Judaism is, as Herzl identified, chronic and, and unnegotiable. There's nothing you can do. Like it's, there's not enough settlements that we can dismantle or do whatever you know, right. to, to please the other side, or there's not, not enough, you know, um, in his time, uh, Jews that will stop engaging in the stock market, or that will not be peddlers, or they will not do all the things that some Jews themselves said, well, you know, I have an issue with that too, that Jews are, you know, making too much money in the stock market, and Jews are becoming very successful very quickly after their emancipation and taking jobs away from the Europeans. You know, I, I empathize with that. You know, people said that at that time, but there's nothing, Herzl realized there's no kind of change, no re-education of the Jew that's possible uh, to alleviate the hatred. And so what we're seeing today uh, is that uh, opposition to Judaism is being funneled through Zionism, which helps define Jews from the outside. So when the organizing principle of Judaism was a religious one, then the opposition was a religious, was sort of like took the currency or the seeming currency of, of religious of you know terminology and 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 and, uh, and 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 currency. Now that the the opposition uh, to Judaism is done through Israel, it helps um, strengthen the argument that Judaism is transformed and that Zionism it's is anchor. So just by virtue of recognizing that Judaism is transforming, to say it simplistically, it's some, I'm saying it more gently in the book, but that Judaism is Zionism, Judaism is transforming to Zionism then one can no longer hide behind this premise that, oh, I love Jews. Some of the Jews are my best friends, but I just hate the Zionist. You cannot say I'm a pro-Jew and anti-Zionist. So in some way, what we are doing is letting the people who hate us dictate what the most important thing is. So that when they hated us because of our religion, then the thing that held us together was our religion. And now they're hating us because of Israel. So the thing that holds us together is Israel. Absolutely. You know, we were defined by the outside. We were defined by the outside in good times and bad times by friends and non-friends. I mean, one of the main no. thing about you mentioned earlier that some Jews live in Babel, in Babylon. How did they yeah. get to Babylon? You know, the, the, the Babylon came here. 
Nebuchadnezzar and deported and them. And exiled, right. And uh, when we were allowed to rebuild our temple to the Cyrus uh, edict, that was done also by the outside. So the outside, when the Romans, uh, when the Greeks came and tried to um, uh, uh, change Judaism and impose their values, you know, by the way, I look at the Israeli-European conflict, I'm, I'm, I'm a Europhile in a sense, I have a lot of European friends, but, you know, I talk to them that this is a 23-year-old conflict, the Greeks and the Romans, they come and they tell us what to do, right. this, don't that, you know, but they help, the, you know, the, the resistance to that or the countermeasures to the Greeks' initiative, like the, the holiday of Hanukkah, uh, is another example where Judaism is defined by the outside. So yes, if, you know, I'm not saying this, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to sit with that a little bit. It's it's not pleasant maybe to hear, but no. we are by the outside. But once mm-hmm. we tell the outside, no, 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 we're not just a religion. We are a nation. So outside, outside haters, to use this term, you can, or people who oppose us, you can no longer say we are a pro-religion, but anti-nation. So, you know, so yes, the outside defines us, but us recognizing that Judaism is transforming counters the opposition, you know, that, that, that are we getting from the outside. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it counters it. What I'd like to do is go because we've got some really interesting uh, questions on the chat that people have brought up um, or some are just comments. Somebody saying that the greatest threat to Israel, Judaism and democracy is progressivism, which is something that you touched on before uh, that, you know, that side of the political map that's very critical, um, overly critical, perhaps, of Israel. Um Mark Karoff, I believe that most American Jews give high priority neither to Judaism nor Zionism. The question is those who criticize Israel who are totally anti-Zionist are so ignorant of Jewish history and scripture as well as the need for a Jewish state. How can that problem be resolved when those Jews are reluctant or even defiant of learning the historic facts? So based on what you're saying, they've taken themselves out of the nation, not just the religion? No. No? I think that, um, uh, first of all, Criticizing of Israel, we, I'm not wearing here the Israel advocacy hat. We're not wearing here the, the Israel advocacy hat. This right. book doesn't come out of how do we advocate for Israel, other than to say that uh, we are under, you know, the, the Israel bashing philosophy is, is an existential threat that we don't realize it's, it's, it's strength. Uh, and there's this, the, the Hasbara or little, you know, is, is not enough. And that's yeah. what hurts a lot. Herzl, when he launched his movement, he said that, you know, attempts to explain to the outside world about Jews is futile. Societies to, you know, combat anti-Semitism are ridiculous. We need a transformative event. We need something that's very big here. And we need to understand that, to use my our terms contemporarily, we're not talking here about conflict resolution. We're talking about conflict management. You know, those who um, oppose us, uh, we won't be able to convince them. Yeah. Uh, so by, in Herzl's case, by having a Jewish state, we will be in a better footing. First of all, they'll be able to understand us better. They'll be able to benefit from us. We will be the necessity of the world because they want to get a, you know, cure to, you know, to all kinds of diseases. And they want, you know, to Israel to turn air into water. And they want to, you know, benefit from our cyber defense capabilities and many other things. But right. it, is, it is important that, you know, to, in order for this to happen, in order... For the world, to, you know, to come to terms with, you know, w- with this reality is to recognize is for us to recognize that Judaism is transforming. And I'll say I'll take it one I take it in the book one level below, um, uh, and you can read the book. I'll just say it very briefly. I pinpoint I try to pinpoint where does the Israel bashing threat 
lies. Uh, so we like to think of the BDS activist and, and of some, some, you know, somebody's like genocide and massacre. That's not, that, those people a lot of time do not have the capabilities to inflict severe existential damage to the state of Israel and therefore to Judaism. But the people who I call Israel bashers light, the people who are um, uh, influenced by this poisonous philosophy of Israel bashing do have the capabilities. And the people who have the capabilities are the people who are also the most sensitive to being accused of being called a hater. So the BDS activist who's yelling and calling us genocide may not care if we call him a Jew hater, may not care, so fine. I mean, you know, I don't care if you call me an Israel basher or a Jew basher, you know, you guys are murdering the, you know, the Palestinians. But the one who is in a foreign office in a European government or the one who's in the International Criminal Court or the one who's in the UN, right. it is extremely important for him to be clear that he's doing this out of love, out of love to the Jews, he's protecting the Jews out of this anomaly, you know, that, that, that was created in Zionism. And therefore, the recognition of the transformation serves as a backstop to the Israel bashing movement at the Israel light, uh, Israel basher light level. So that if the Israel basher read the book and understood that Israel is the new the third stage, if you will, of Judaism or whatever we want to call it, this peoplehood that we have, then they would stop bashing Israel and they would realize that it's antithetical to who they are to do that? The Israel, just like the Jews, I said earlier, do not operate in a in an insular environment. There's no such thing as or a Jewish cohesive community. for that matter. You know, <laughs> Cleveland, then your friends are not necessarily Jews and you go, you walk with non-Jews. So the Israel basher is the same thing. The Israel basher don't live in an insular Israel bashing community and not every progressive uh, is an Israel basher and even not every person who criticizes Israel is an Israel basher. So there needs to be, I think there is, I'm not saying that there needs to be, I think that there is a change of consciousness of what Judaism is. That is what the book is about, that there's a transformation of Judaism. That this transformation is occurring in somebody's consciousness in the approach to Judaism. So the you know a few hundred people that are on your call right now buy into this message, you know, read the book, talk to their friends, you know, eventually this is going to trickle into the Israel Basher's light and the Israel Basher. And the, it's not that the Israel Basher will read the book and will have a light bulb, but the Israel Basher operates in an ecosystem. Once the there is a recognition that Judaism is basically Zionism, then yes, this will influence the Israel Basher. So if you if you had this book 2,000 years ago called Judaism 2.0, when Jews were exiled and were refugees in mostly in Europe, but at that time also in Babylon and the Middle East and wherever they were, um, somebody would write a book and says, oh, you know what? Judaism is transforming and it's no longer about the temple, Judaism 1.0, and about the worship and being physically in Judea, which you're not. It's about life in exile. It's about the halakha, the Jewish law. It's about the canonization of the oral Torah. It's about the rituals. It's, you know, so somebody might have said, you know what, I don't buy this. I don't recognize this transformation. So I love Jews, you know, I love, but I just don't like the Jews who, you know, keep Shabbat or go to synagogue or celebrate Hanukkah, all those rabbinic Jews. I don't like the rabbinic Jews, the ones who pray three times a day. I don't like them, but I love Jews in general. So once there was a consciousness, which took centuries, I think, you know, that Judaism has transformed then back then, people, I would imagine, could not have said, I like Jews, you know, the ones that used to worship in the temple a few centuries ago, and the one that lived in Judea, but I hate the ones, those Jews, bizarre Jews that go to synagogue and pray three times a day and celebrate Passover and celebrate Hanukkah and celebrate Purim as we're about to celebrate. 
So once there is a recognition that we're at a similar point in Jewish history and that Judaism is transforming and, and Zionism is becoming its anchor, that takes the cells out of the Israel bashing movement in a very profound way. And I think we are this. And in this, at the beginning, it is a very simple story. We were here, you know, we developed something while we were in exile. And now that we're back, then, if, if, you know, it's very natural that there'll be a transformation of Judaism. However, transformation of this magnitude takes time. It did not happen in Israel's first 70 years due to various hurdles, but also because transformation takes time. And one hurdle right. you alluded to there was that Zionism was overly associated with secularism. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, you know, that has changed. So now mm -hmm. Zionism encompasses secular, religious. When Theodor Herzl launched the Zionist movement, he looked around the room in the first Zionist Congress in Basel in 1897, and he says, already in Zionism, we've done something that didn't exist for 2,000 years. We were able to bring together the most ultra-liberal and the most ultra-conservatives under one roof, under one movement. And this movement is going to be the foundation of a building that will house all of Judaism. And I have to tell you, the audience, this book, you know, in the, you know, it's only of being launched now. It's available. The official launch is at parties on March 7th. Uh, so it's an early stage. We're always ahead of the curve here. Yes. <laughs> people who put it on Amazon and send comments and from people who came to the unveiling, uh, you had people who are, you know, ultra liberal and also conservatives. You had progressives. You have, have a progressive politician. I have a pro progressive political consultant. I, you know, and you had in the launch, in the unveiling, in the pre-launch unveiling party. Oh, not unveiling. Unveiling is like um, in a cemetery when you when you show the the tombstone. There has to be another word which escapes me. Um, okay, the opening of the book. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, the launch. Okay, the launch. Yeah. The launch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm so, losing so, my English as well as my Hebrew. Yes. <laughs> is that Zionism is not, doesn't belong to the right or to the left, to the religious oh. and to the secular. Zionism is the way that Herschel designed it. We can have another conversation, long conversation about Herschel mm -hmm. and how his view is re being reflected today. It's, you know, I, through the book, I, I sprinkle Herschel's vision and how it's relevant today, but right. it is to be the essence of Judaism. In, it, he said, we receive Judaism in our hands and it can only be done by not hurting any of the aspects of the religious aspects of Judaism, which Herzl clarifies that Zionism is not going to hurt any of the religious aspects of Judaism. And mm -hmm. so, so, so again, because you cannot Zionism, if Zionism is the anchor of Judaism, it needs to be a very broad tent and encompass people with different relationships to Israel to answer your early questions. Mm -hmm. I absolutely do not say that people who are in their living room um, uh, should move to Israel or even visit Israel. On, on the contrary, I, have a chapter there about what I call cloud Zionism, uh, where uh, the, the focus is not, you, know, Ali, you can connect to Israel, you know, Zionism has a lot of connectors in the in its supermarket. It could be Israeli wine, which is now particularly very good. It could be, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, the medical innovation, gay culture, whatever it is that you are, you can connect to this point. The Zionist supermarket offers you something to connect to and now, uh, I don't want to say thanks to, but as, as a byproduct of the Corona crisis, it's very, you know, the, the Israel is as far away and, uh, as some, some of your audience here is, as the local synagogue or the local Jewish community center because you're doing it on Zoom. So, uh, so progressives, conservative, liberals, religious, straight, gay, you know, people of everything, you know, can connect to, Ju to Judaism through Zionism. 
And I'm arguing that that is what is happening. Not that's what it should happen. You know, when you that take it through and you says, okay, let's look at your last month. How many touch points did you have with Judaism? I think that the majority will be, you know, something that has to do with Israel, whether it's criticism, whether it's anger, whether it's support, whether it's love, rather than other aspects of Judaism. Okay, so you're saying that all attention is good, even if it's negative attention. Just just think I'm about not, Israel in some way, make it, then it's a part of your life. I'm not saying it's good as, as somebody who's as passionate, you know, as, right. as you and most of about Israel. I, I'm not happy. But it's when, an engagement, but it's an engagement. And that maybe is more important than indifference. I lost you. I didn't want to go there as go. far say that you by engage you are engaging with Judaism otherwise you would not be engaging with Judaism you are somebody that has no you know in this example I mean there's different people there's a lot of people who are religious people who are critical of Israel but in the the common example of somebody who has virtually zero engagement points with Judaism he had 10 years ago when you know the Holocaust generation you know was alive and 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 sadly in a couple of decades there won't be and when the grandmothers who spoke Yiddish were alive you know, you had a you had a you had a sort of like a vector towards your Judaism, but now for if you take the twenty year old uh, American Jew, his grandmother is an American grandmother. That's the same as the grandmother of the Irish, you know, person. She doesn't speak in a Yiddish right. accent, and you know, other uh, connectors have faded. So the only thing that's left basically is Israel. So I'm not saying that's great that you're criticizing Israel. I'm saying that is your touch point with Judaism. So just a couple of comments. One is that I would say the Judaism 2.0 was written, and that would have been the mission on the Talmud, which were the books that took centuries to write and were the ones that got us through for all, you know, for all this time to still maintain that uniqueness so that most of those those of us who are listening today will wake up in the morning and say, I'm a Jew. And this is why it's because of yeah. Shabbat and it's because of Passover Seder. And it's because of those things that bound us together when we weren't in our land. And so the challenges of coming back here, as you and I well know, is that there's Judaism and there's Israeliness, and sometimes they meet and sometimes they cross and sometimes they don't, even though I do think that, and Micha Goodman and others have written about this as well, that there, there's a merging here in some very, very fascinating ways, but it's something that only can happen in Israel when you're really surrounded in a culture of Jews and also, unfortunately, feeling the threats from outside together, which is not something that you're feeling if you're outside of Israel in a very, yeah. really in a very existential way. Um, Hillel Fould, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, we interviewed, I interviewed him, I had talked with him a couple of weeks ago, and he made an interesting observation that many of the businessmen that he works with are able to make that distinction between appreciating Israeli innovation and still hating Jews. They are somehow what for many of us is you know, Israel, how if we win a Nobel Prize, if a Jew wins a Nobel Prize, everybody's so excited. If some Israeli company comes up with an invention, all Jews are excited. But he said that not everybody feels like that. They're able to make that distinction somehow and live with it. Well, that existed in the previous iteration of Jew hatred and anti-Semitism. The, the, the right. Nazi still Jewish doctor. And even even before that, you know, the, the you know, you look at, oh, the, yeah. you know, the, 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 Dreyfus affairs and what happened in France in the end of the 19th century. You had anti-Dreyfus people who still benefited from the wealth that well, Jews. You, ha you have it today. Some of the leaders of terrorist organizations have no problem getting medical treatment in Israel. Why we give it to them is another discussion. <laughs> that is why we want to, you know, if there's a change of consciousness of what Judaism is, 
Uh, it mitigates the ability of that person to say, thank you for the medical innovation, you know, but I hate Israel uh, because Israel right. is not Jewish. Once we said it's just Zionism, and, and more so, uh, we didn't talk about the opportunities it provides, but I would just say that Herzl uh, started the Zionist Congress and then repeated in different uh, times uh, a vision that Zionism is about the return to Judaism, even, if, even before it is the return to the Jewish land. Zionism is a vehicle for us to return to our authentic selves. We were, in 2000 years of exile, uh, developed certain um, adjustments that we had to do. Uh, but now we are at the early, early stage of Zionism, at the early stage of renewing our days here. And we have an opportunity to uh, not just prosper here, but to be this beacon upon the nation, to be the Tikkun Olam state as we well, already are. Uh, right. And advance humanity. Uh, going back to Moshe Haas, the, the, the philosopher of the 1860s that I maybe was critical about, about him earlier, uh, he did um, uh, point to a French philosopher uh, that represented a prevalent view at the time of the mid-19th centuries that the return of the Jews to their land will present as a humanity-changing event because the Jews, according to this French philosopher, that oh, yeah. are a generous nation. And once the Jews are no longer bound by this pressure of, you know, anti-Semitism and boycott and, and it's below the 49 line, under all this kind of European neo-paganic uh, religion that tried to impose on, on, on us and our Palestinian friends, uh, once we're no longer, you know, bound by this pressure, you know, we will able to create and prosper. So the, that French philosopher in the mid-19th centuries and others understood that once the Jews renewed our, their days, and are able to create and contribute, humanity will be advanced in a radical way. I think, I think we've already shown that. I think we're showing it every single day, whether people appreciate it or not. But we're still seeing the pressure. We're still seeing the opposition to Judaism that is now funneled through Israel bashing. So I hope uh, that, and, and I, for full disclosure, some of those people that are my friends, you know, I have friends with people who are uh, EU ambassadors and or, or diplomats and you're ambassadors and, and people in the UN and I share with them this book and you know I, I said join us don't beat us like enough you know you know we have to settle this this long you know 2300 year you know conflict uh and and accept us as by the way many of our Arab friends do you mentioned that I the conference of friends, um I, I was there today this is a wonderful organization that houses all the major Jewish organizations under one roof uh, and they had some phenomenal presentations, but the presentation they're having right now, as we're speaking, is a presentation with the ambassador of Bahrain, with the ambassador of Jordan, with the uh, uh, ambassador, I believe, of the UAE, and the, and the head of the embassy of Kosovo, who is the first European country and the first Muslim country to open their embassy here in Jerusalem. So, as you said, it is beginning to change. Uh, but uh, uh, we, I, I hope that some of the Europeans that are still opposing Judaism through Zionism will read the book and will talk to people and, uh, uh, and, and will uh, recognize that by joining us, uh, it will advance them and it will advance humanity. All right. First of all, thank you so much for writing the book because it gives a lot of food for thought. It's not, you know, again, it, there's a lot of ideas in here and a lot of the research that you did that will be new to many people. And uh, those of us who can read it and get it out to others who need to read it, 
Okay, because as you said, maybe if they understand that there's a different paradigm, there's a different way of looking at Judaism and, and at Israel, it'll make maybe a little switch. It's not going to change the world, but if it just changes a few key people, as you mentioned, then it behooves all of us to do whatever we can, those of us who are watching here and, and participating in this, who do love Israel. So I really want to thank you for that. And I think it was a very important book to be written. Um, and uh, we have a lot of the questions here. So I put on my glasses so I can read the questions. Um, give me a break, everybody. I turned 61 last week. This is what happens. Uh, a lot of them have to do with the more religious aspects of who is a Jew in terms of conversion, things that we've discussed in other webinars. You're welcome to, to look them up. And of course, they're being discussed virtually all the time because legislation is moving through the Knesset now and other things that are happening. And that really wasn't the focus of tonight's talk was who is a Jew in the sense of religious idea. It was Zionism being perhaps that that com that combining element for the Jewish nation now in a way that it, we weren't able to have for the past few millennia. And now we have this incredible opportunity. And with all the criticism and everything that we have, and those of us who live here in Israel, I don't even like listening to the news anymore because it just aggravates me. But we really need to just take a deep breath and look around and realize what a miracle this country is. And that every single day, we are the light into the nations. The things coming out of this country that most people don't even know about would take your breath away. And I would hope that Herzl, from wherever he is, um, will understand that it didn't go exactly the way he planned, but it went pretty damn well. And, uh, and we owe a lot to him and to so many of the people who have come between him and now, including yourself, and, and thank you for your service in the IDF and everything that you continue to do for Israel, um, that we have a lot of work to do, but we've come a very, very long way. And uh, I'm proud to be a Jew and a Zionist, so I don't have to choose between the two of them. <laughs> and thank you. So where can people reach you? Where can they get the book? Where can they reach you if they have a question that maybe they didn't want to ask here, didn't have an opportunity? The website, it's called judaism-zionism.com. I don't know if you can put it on the chat so people can. And we will. I'll put it in the, in the mail. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Judaism-Zionism.com, uh, or if it's easy to remember, Jewish Transformations, sorry, JewishTransformation.com, uh, it goes to the same place. Uh, and that's an important point. I mean, this is the, there's like, you know, links there to buy the book on Amazon and buy the book in other places. But, um, but we're also going to have, as we're launching this book, use this website uh, as a platform for discussions. There's also a bunch of articles there. Want to have other people's articles. Uh, so um, uh, it's... What we said earlier, I think the, since this is a somewhat of a captive audience, uh, if you buy into this message, uh, you know, the important thing is that you discuss about it and you, you don't necessarily need to agree or people you discuss with. You know, we just generate this conversation about, about this. Is Judaism transforming? Is Zionism becoming the anchor of Judaism? So, so through uh, reading the book, through the website, judaism-zionism.com, um, let's, uh, let's uh, spark the conversation. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. And thank you once again to Winnesel Fund for sponsoring this webinar. And I'll already put in another plug for Winnesel Fund. In a week, I am supposed to be moderating a mega event for the Yesha Council, which Winnesel Fund, along with the ZOA and Yisrael Shali and other pro Judean Samaria organizations, are also going to be sponsoring. So you can tune into that. It's in two weeks, excuse me, on March 6th. And we will be continuing that discussion. The topic of that is going to be um, the destruction of the archaeological 
sites. I see that someone asked a question about archaeology. Not tonight's topic, but that reminded me to mention this, that that will be the topic in a couple of weeks about how a lot of the heritage sites, specifically in the mountainous areas of Judea and Samaria, which are precious to so many people around the world. I mean, it's it's 3,500, 4,000 years of history that are very often uh, irrevocably being destroyed and uh, and you know how we can stop that and and what what that whole issue is. So I hope that you tune into that to continue to tune into our webinars. We have them once a month. If you missed any, shame, but you can go back on our website. And we also have virtual tours. We took a little bit of a break on the virtual tours, um, but a couple of them have been filmed. One of them is supposed to be coming out in the next few days. My excellent videographer uh, had to delay putting it out because he was called into Milouim. He was called into his army reserve duty uh, for a few days. And that's a very typical Israel story, but that should be coming out. So you can look through that um, when we highlight the different communities and the people in these hills who are keeping it alive in every single way, building families, uh, educating our children, speaking Hebrew, uh, eating the great food of the land, and of course, drinking the great wine of the land, and really bringing Zionism into a totally 3D experience in ways that we could only have dreamed of uh, not so long ago. So Gal Kalev, thank you once again for your contribution to what I think is the most exciting project that the world has seen in a very long time, if ever, and that is the modern day state of Israel. Uh, take care, everyone. Once again, Eve Harrow, Director of Tourism and Community Development for One Israel Fund. Thanks to Shauna for being the lady behind the scenes. And I hope wherever you are, you're well and that you are buying tickets now to come to this magnificent country and see things for yourselves. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. The year is 1981. Menachem Begin is Prime Minister. Ronald Reagan is president, and Saddam Hussein has a nuclear reactor in Iraq. Israel has nothing to apologize for. We decided to act now, before it is too late. We shall defend our people with all the means at our disposal. Take a deep dive into Israel's strike on the Osirak nuclear reactor, the story of Ilan Ramon, and the world reaction to this dramatic event in Israeli history. And I said to the president, before this is over, we'll be on our knees thanking God Israel did what it did. That's The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.